All right. Welcome to Village Heights. Thank you so much for being here. This is the final installment of our collection movement. And so if this is your first time, you got some catching up to do. You got to go online, go to YouTube. It's all there. It's on our website. And because uh, we have a lot, we've had a lot of fun through this process. Uh, it's been eight weeks. This is the eighth week of it. And uh, it was kind of interesting because we want to talk about how we move, right? And what is the mint in our movement as a church? Because that's what the church is. It's a movement. It was never meant to be a destination that we just arrived to because what we would do as humans, if it was a destination, we would get there and go, all right, Jesus, give me my ticket, right? I made it, my ticket to heaven. Now I can do whatever I want, right? That's what we would do. We would totally abuse it. Um, So it's not a destination. It's a journey that we're on. And that journey only ends when, you know, when it ends, when all of it ends for you. Um, and so that, that's when it ends. So what is the mint in our move as we follow the way? And we say the way because when Jesus came, it was actually, we made up the term church. We did that, right? And that's what we call it. But what Jesus called it was the way, not a way, not your way, the way. The only way back to God. Now, you could choose a different way if you want. You have the free will for that. But he said, this is the way back to your father, your creator. And so as we do this, as we follow, uh, the big question is, how do we church, right? Because we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you, Baptist, uh, uh, they're all leaving me, Catholic, Methodist, uh, Church of Christ, uh, some, no background. You have no background in church, which sometimes I actually prefer because I don't have to like work backwards. I can just go forward with you. Uh, but we all come from these different backgrounds. And so then when you join a new church, you're like, what is required? Because sometimes there's a social implication. There's a culture here, right? And they're like, well, how do I get ingrained, right? And then there's like, what rituals, what matters to this church? What practices do they have that I need to get involved with that I probably wasn't doing in the church that I grew up in? And can I adapt to that? And that's kind of why we church shop. Because for the most part, a lot of churches kind of believe the same thing and they're on the same page. But we're like, can I mix into their culture? Which is the one that's close enough for my personality? And how do I choose to live? And so because of all these different backgrounds, sometimes we don't know how to act. We don't know what's required of us. And so at I can't speak for every church, but at Village Heights, I can tell you what's required here to be a part of this family. It's because when it comes to the way, it requires direction. So like if somebody came to you and asked for directions to a certain location and you gave them a detailed list, an unfailing list of directions, and they didn't move, they just stood there and stared at you, you'd go, movement's required now, right? I can't transport you there magically, okay? I'm not going to pick you up, put you on my back and carry you there. You got to move, right? Movement's got to happen. And so that's what it is for us as the church. If it's the way and not just a destination, movement is required. But what is, we get so, we get so locked in on the move part, we forget the mint. What's the mint in the move? How are we supposed to operate when we follow Christ? It requires movement. And the church image to me, as we move, that's why we chose this cool-looking artwork. It's, to me, it's a kaleidoscope. It is, kaleidoscope is a simple technology that everybody loves. I don't care what age you are, 
you love a kaleidoscope, okay? You see one, you're picking it up, and you're looking into it. We actually just did this this weekend. Uh, we were at Bucky's, and they sell them at Bucky's if you need to find one. And, uh, and I, I was like, kaleidoscope, got to check it out. And Kelsey was with us, and Kelsey, don't put it on your eye. That's a good rule, okay? Do not pick up random kaleidoscopes and put them on your eye because you don't know what you're putting on your eye. Uh, but, so I didn't, I held it away, and I'm just like, I don't care what age you are, that simple technology is mesmerizing. You look into it, you put it up to the light, and you see all the colors moving. It's just so cool. And even like me saying it, you're probably picturing it in your mind. That's the way I see the church. It's simple. It's meant to be simple. Christ came and simplified it for us, but when it's all moving together, when we all bring our unique light, our unique color, and we're all focused on the same light, which is Jesus, we get to produce this beautiful chaos that is sometimes confusing to people. And they want to be like, I don't know what this is, but I want to be a part of it, right? Um, and so that's the way I see it, a beautiful chaos. But for that to happen, for the church to be that kaleidoscope, each and every one of us have to be moving and shining in the way that we're called to. Because if you picked up a kaleidoscope and you realize some of the lights are moving, some of the colors are, are out, you would go, this kaleidoscope is broken. It's the same way with the church. So all its pieces have to be moving in correct fashion in order to make the beautiful chaos happen. And so we've been going through Village Heights core values the past three weeks, and our core values do not comfort. <laughs> and that's, that's just the truth. We did not choose core values that make people comfortable. We chose core values that would get you out of your box, out of your comfort zone. So the default is not to comfort. They catalyze to help us find a harmonious place with God, not with ourselves. So I'm telling you right now, if this is your first time, and it's probably stupid for me to say this, but if you're here for comfort, this is not the place for you. Go find another comfortable church. I don't know. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, I don't have a list of them or anything like that, but uh, I'm sure they're out there. But this place, we're going to catalyze. We're going to be following teachings that catalyze. That harmony that we do find with God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's why when people see us and we're doing cool stuff and like, man, that's chaos. How are you handling that? We're fine. Because it's not about the world's harmony that we're for. We're after harmony with God. And so because of that, that's why we end up in the, like, life is not going good. Your career is kind of falling apart. And they look at you and they're like, how are you so calm? And like, well, it's not about this for me. It's about my creator. And they go, oh, you're a crazy Christian, right? <laughs> that's where they get that vibe from. But Village Heights is not here solely for the chill vibes, okay? Now, in coming here, you might feel some chill vibes because we're more comfortable. Anytime anybody asks, like, can I go to Village Heights? And I'm like, yeah, anybody really can. I mean, it's super comfortable. We're, we're not going to pressure you. We're not gonna, if you're a new guest, we're not going to make you stand up and everybody look at you, that kind of thing. Uh, we're just here. One of the greatest uh, uh, compliments that I get is when someone comes for the first time and they say, man, I know I'm new, but I already feel like I'm a part of it. Like, I didn't even know you before, but I feel like I'm a part of this family. That is huge for me. And again, it's not just because we try to make it comfortable. It's because of the love of God, solely because of the love of Christ. And that's what we find. That's what that effect is. When you come, you feel comfortable. It's the love of Christ because you are accepted. You are welcomed here. We are here to be that catalyzing factor 
that brings people back to their Savior. And it's some people that's, that don't even know that they have a Savior or acknowledge Him. I know it's their Savior. And everything that we do is to bring people to Christ. Not follow a ritual, not follow, and there's wrong with this, but not just to be a part of a certain denomination or religion. We want people to come to Jesus. And that's, that's the sole purpose. And so we do this by working backwards and forwards. Now, I say backwards first because if you've grown up in church, you've learned some things, okay? You've been accustomed to some things. And sometimes we got to work backwards, go, I need to stop doing this before I can work forwards and doing things. And so when we started the collection, the first four weeks, we talked about four things. The first thing, spiritual complacency. The second thing was empty worship. The third thing is everybody's favorite, hypocrisy, because they think it's about other people, and it's usually about themselves, being hypocrites uh, in the church. And then the last thing we talked about was spiritual pride. Now, I do not expect anybody to be perfect in coming to Village Heights, but I will ask you avoid those four things. Because I feel for a church to be healthy, we need to be actively avoiding all of those things. Because those are some of the hugest disruptors to what God has called us to do, okay? So then we said, all right, now that we have those four laid out, now it's time to move forward. And so in moving forward and being a part, I can't speak for every church, but being a part of this church, we have some core values. And so the first one was being Christ-centered. And that one's easy because this is Jesus' church. He's the one that started this. And if Jesus is not involved, it's like having a birthday party didn't invite the birthday boy. Okay? It's his thing, right? He has to be a part of it. And if he's not a part of it, it's something else that we put a stamp on it and call it a church, but it's really something else. So Christ-centered is the first one. The second one is community-crafted. Now, being a church planner, I would love, love, if it would be so much easier for me if I just showed up to a community, put a sign out there and said, all right, come on, wretched sinners, let me tell you how you're supposed to live and why you're wrong right? That would be so much easier. I, I mean, I don't know if I would prefer it. I haven't tried it yet. Maybe I should try sometime. But um, what we do at Village Heights, we are community crafted. We come to a community and we say, first off, what do you care about? Because the rule of thumb with new people in a new community, you have to care about what they care about before they're going to care about what you're going to care about. That's just how it goes, right? So we come, we say, what are you about here? Let's wrap our arms around this community and love them. Because if we do that, inevitably, they're going to go, why are you this way? <laughs> I want to care about what you care about. So being community crafted. And then the third one is probably the hardest, but also the most fun. Um, it's called audacious generosity. And you're looking at me going, wasn't generosity enough? Well, in Scripture it was because it was a new thing. Uh, and they would say, give generously. But as humans, we dumb words down, we water them down. So we had to add a word to make generosity what it really is supposed to be. Audacious. Audacious generosity. And what does that mean? That's being giving and loving in a way that doesn't make sense. Loving in a way that makes people think strings are attached. And this is one of my favorite parts. When we go support a person or a, a, non, a nonprofit organization or whatever it may be, and we come and we give them things, and they'll go, but what's the catch? And I say, there's no catch. <laughs> I promise. And they'll go, surely there's a catch. I'm like, no catch. We just want to love you. And they get this confused look on their face as they're receiving whatever it is. And then it just kind of melts on them, and they go, Wow. And if they're not believers, they go, how? <laughs> Why 
why are you this way, right? And we get to explain that. Audacious generosity is showing love in a way that doesn't make sense to this world. It's, it's love that is that's selfless, that does not include us first. So as a group, individually working these core values and making them a part of our life, right, can individually uh, turn us into catalysts and wherever we go. And then as a group, if we're doing this individually and then we come together as a group and do this together, it's, that's the kind of group that changes a city. That's the kind of group that changes a community. That's the kind of group that their actions echo and people go, What's something different about them? What is it? It creates a movement that's intriguing. Actually, it's better than intriguing because intriguing just catches your attention. What we do actually compels, right? And when you compel somebody, it's like a, a bug to a light. They're drawn to it. They don't even know what it is or why they're being drawn to it. They're just, they feel it. And they're like, I, I want to be a part. What is this, Right? It compels them to it. But before, uh, as humans do, and before you do this, because I have to remind myself, before we turn this into an equation, as humans do, um, it's more than just following action steps. Yes, there are steps involved, but it's more than just following an equation. The catalyzing element that draws, that compels people is Christ's love. The same feeling you probably felt the first time you came here and go, man, I want to be a part of it. That's Christ's love. Yes, we're cool, all right? I was just born that way. I'm sorry, okay? I accepted it. The Lord delivered, okay? But what compels you to stay, because I'm really not that great, is Jesus's love. It's Christ's love that's more powerful. And it's that kind of love, and you're thinking, oh, it's just being sweet kind of love. No, 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 no. A love that's defined in that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That kind of love. That is a love that's almost unfathomable to us. Because we, if you asked me to give one of my kids for, no, would not do that. But God did. That is a love that's more powerful than we can ever understand. So the action alone might cause a reaction. And we do this daily. We do actions that cause reactions, but that's not catalyzing love. Action doesn't just communicate love just because you do something. That's why in a relationship, and you might be there, I don't know, and here's some advice for you. Um, if you have going through a relationship and somebody said, you're just going through the motions, what are they saying? You're not loving me. You're just existing. You're just doing the transactional things. You're just going to the bank and putting a deposit in so you can get something later. I feel like you don't love me. You're just in it for something. That's what that means. So if you're in that, if you've been accused of that lately, do something that's not for you for them. Okay, listen to what they say. I like this or I like pumpkin spice. Whatever it may be, <laughs> go get that thing. Even if it doesn't benefit you, that will show I love you beyond my selfishness. Okay, that wasn't even my notes, but that was just for you guys to work on this Thanksgiving. Um, so going through the motions makes you feel like you're not there. But love-filled action, love-filled action is what communicates real love. That's what it does. And so, uh, for me, um, <laughs> there's, 
There's a difference between just going through the motions and actually loving somebody. So for me, a benefit for Hannah and not a benefit for me because it means sacrifice for me. Um, but I love Hannah ridiculously. Like, I'm obsessed with her, and it's in a weird way, and it freaks people out. Or it irks our staff so much. Um, but I love her a lot, all right? And so the, but the house that we're in now, you've probably heard this story. Just listen to it again. Um, the house we're in now, right before that, the house we were in, it's real close to here. It was a 1930s bungalow. And in the 1930s, they didn't really use sheetrock. They used something called shiplap, which is a really dense wood that kind of folds together. And, uh, and in this, this little bungalow, Hannah goes, I don't like that wall. I want it gone, right? And I'm like, honey, I love you. Uh, of course, I will make the wall go away, right? And so I started the project to make the really old wall go away. And so I learned a lot of things, and if you know anything about construction, uh, when in a house like that, they shiplapped every wall, every wall, right? Even the inside walls, which wouldn't make sense, you know, normally. Uh, so I get to it. I, I had to strip off all, of, like, the, the sheetrock and all that, and I finally get to the shiplap. And I start getting the shiplap off, right? And I finally get all that. And then I find an electrical system that I'm pretty sure was not to code and has been patched over probably 60 years and it's made with cables that I, I don't, you can't even buy anymore. Like they're not even, they, they shouldn't be used, uh, basically. Um, and I, and I, so I started the project one day, and I find myself, now it's bedtime, and I'm into this wall. There is exposed electricity. I am not an electrician, but I have Google and I have YouTube, okay? And I have a little bit of ingenuity when it comes to construction. So I spent eight hours that night, everybody's asleep. I'm in the, I lived in the attic for one night, right? I was there. I wasn't in trouble. I was in the attic, okay, trying to figure out what, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm like, Lord, I was, I was saying some not, not nice words, right? And, and I was like, whoever did this, Lord, I'm pretty sure they're not with you because only an evil person would make it in this way and kind of fashion together like this to torture me in this moment. And there was moments when I was like, man, I love Hannah. I don't like her right now, right? <laughs> Probably at 3 a.m., and, uh, and so I think I finally got to bed at like six, right? And I fixed it. I did it, you know, yeah, thank you. Um, and, and I did it eight hours. And that's what love is. When you sacrifice in such a way when it's not comfortable, it's when you don't like them and you still love them that you find the depths of your love, all right? When I talk about love, that's the kind of love that I'm talking about. That's Christ's love, a limitless love. His actions were so powerful. His love was so strong that it's not just wasn't active then. It's still active now. His, he's still working on your behalf. He sits at the right hand of the Father saying, Lord, forgive them. I got them. They're mine. Lord, they're mine. I know, that, I know that they made a deal with you when they were in that moment. And they were like, please, Lord, I'll never do it again. And they did it again, Lord. But I'm here to say, it's okay. I got them. I'm still going to forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Actively working on our behalf, right? That's why it's a journey, not a destination. But there's a breakdown for us in which church kind of gets wishy-washy. It's the difference between liking and loving, I am positive. I, there are some angry moments in Scripture. Jesus was mad. I'm sure he hated all humanity at some point, right? I, I don't see how he couldn't, right? Very unlikable at some times. Um, and, but he still did it because he loved us. There's even a moment in the wilderness when he was like, Father, 
can you pass this towards somebody else, this burden? And he's like, no, 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 no. I love them. I might not like them, but I love them, right? So he did it anyways. I'm sure he didn't always like us, but he completed the job because he loves us. Jesus, he was immediately catalyzing when he hit the scene. When he arrived, he immediately catalyzing not just to unbelievers, but majority to believers. He was invoking change right off the bat. The same struggles of treating the elements of God as an equation, the same things that we face today, trying to make ritual our, our hope, tradition, like, I've always done this. Does God know my church attendance? Surely he loves me because of it, right? Because I'm consistent. Does he know how much I gave, right, my person? We do this. We, we create these, these, these elements. And, and in the Old Testament, at the time when Jesus hit the scene, they had like this algorithm. They built off of Moses' ten laws, which were some good laws. I think we should follow them. But they, they built off of that, like 600 and something off of that, saying, if you follow this equation, you're good. And they thought that was true. They were like, I'm good. I'm following this. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm checking the boxes off. I am good. The Jewish traditions became a place of conflict for believers, especially after Jesus, because Jesus came to do something different. So Jewish people who became believers versus Gentile believers, right? So Gentiles were like, you are not chosen. You're not even supposed to talk to God's people. You can't be a part of this, right? And so they treated them like they were outcasts. But now Jesus came along and says, anybody can come to the Father. And so now you got this mixed bag of people, right? So then there's this struggle because there's the, I'm sure you've heard it this way if you've gone to church at any older church. It's always been this way. You remember that? You ever heard that? We do it this way because we've always done it. But why do you do it? Well, we've always done it this way. And if we changed it, now it would ruin everything, right? It's ritual. That's how, it's a good sign that it's a ritual. Same thing was happening for them. And when we get into this, the main point, the scripture I'm about to talk about, it can be distracting. And we can jump past it because of what they're talking about. Now, it was a big deal then. It's not such a big deal now. But don't miss the important lesson that we're going to talk about. But the Jews felt they had cornered righteousness. They felt that they had cornered the market because they had built things around rituals, their faith. And so they thought that, and at one point, you know, there was some logic to this, but at this point, it's kind of illogical. They thought that circumcision was one of the main ways to decide whether you are a believer or not, right? And so then you have the Gentiles who did not practice that, now they can be a part of the believers. And so the existing believer says, we've always done it this way. And now they're going to newcomers classes, right? And they're being told, you're going to get the guillotine, okay? You can imagine in that time, if I would be, I'll be like, excuse me? I'm not, I don't know if this is for me, right? I got to do what to be a part of, of this, this, what's going the way? I'm like, I don't know about that, right? Uh, get the cleaver, all right? So they, they created a ritual built around something to enter this club, shoing, um, and so it was an equation that they had to follow. And so the Jewish believers were like, we had to do it, so you're going to do it, right? That's kind of how, how it was going. And so Paul sees theologic nature, in which is funny that Paul, because Paul was like one of the highest Pharisees. Like he knew back and forth the laws and followed them and to a T made people follow him. For him to step forward and say these words, game changer, right? So in Galatians 5, 1 through 6, this is what he said. 
He said, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Now there's an implication to that. Stay free. That means you could put yourself back in bondage, okay? And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen. When Paul says listen, you listen, okay? Listen. I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be no benefit to you. I'll say it again. He's like, for those who are thicker headed in the back, I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, if, uh, if you're, wait, where was I? If, if you're trying to find favor by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. I thought he was putting a joke in there. He's cut off. Get that? Okay. All right. Um, you have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important, catch this part, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. Okay, so... Remove circumcision and put any ritual in. Remove that. Put any ritual in. Ritual X. Whatever you grew up saying to yourself, this is the way church is, and you can't have church without having this. Whatever it is, same thing. Same thing. He's saying, Paul said, there is no act or actions that can qualify you for Christ. There is nothing that you can do to qualify yourself, you need Christ. If they choose that path, then they will forfeit the miracle of Christ. And it's ironic because the law wasn't working. That's why Jesus showed up. We were failing as humans. And he, he needed to show up to give us a new way, the way. He explicitly states it, faith working through love. Paul is saying there is no equation. There, no, there is no list of actions, things that you can do that's going to qualify yourself. He says, if you want to try, try the law of Moses. And it's funny because he knew that was impossible because nobody had fulfilled that. Nobody was able because we're sinners. We're not perfect. Now, let's translate this to us now. Know it or not, each and every one of you, talking to myself too, each and every one of you are battling ritual over faith. There are actions, there are things that you do that makes you feel good and feel closer to God. But there's a point when it's not just an act of worship to God that you turn it into a ritual thinking that this is earning, earning God's love. It doesn't work that way. We want, and we, and we do this because we want assurance of our relationship in Christ. And usually these actions are tied up in uh, guilt or pride in these rituals. And it's an effective tool, I would say, with humans, uh, guilt and pride to get you to do things. You probably were part of a church at some point that did that. I've never tried it. Maybe I should. It's really effective. Some would call it manipulation. Paul calls it slavery. That's what Paul calls it. He says, if you think that if you just keep following this ritual, you are a slave to it. And he came, Jesus came to set you free, not put you back in bondage. 
When the ritual begins to dictate our relationship with Christ, it is slavery. We think, you know, we go down this path of rituals and we think that he's angry with us because he's not giving us the answers that we want. He's not angry with you. You're just not looking at him because you're following whatever you created, whatever ritual. And he's not even, he's not in that. He's in something else. He's in something much better. And so this can be tied to money. It can be tied to acts of kindness or attendance. And all those things are good, and I welcome those things. But if that's the only reason you do those things is to earn your way into heaven, stop doing them. Because now you're in bondage. You are a slave to whatever equation that you've created. And that's hard for me to say. Because at the end of the year, most of you are going to email saying, hey, end of the year giving, right? And you're like, if you want it for your taxes, you got to give. And we're going to send that. But if it's only for your taxes, don't do it. Man, that hurts to say. But if it's only for your taxes, don't do it. Because if you're only being generous so you can get the tax write-off, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You are. I want you to give generously in worship because that's what we're called to do for our Father. Not just so you can get a tax benefit. That's crazy. Man, I even hate that I said that. But we're going to continue, okay? If that is the reason, if it's for selfish gain, it's for the wrong reason. It really is. So do it in faith. If it's not done in faith through love, it reduces what Christ has done. It does. Christ came to break the equation. He's too strong for any equation. That's why um, for Jesus to fit in a box, which a lot of us try to do, they try to, that's when he came, when he was here with us on earth, we, they tried to put him in a box and they couldn't put him in a box. And they hated that they couldn't put him in a box. So they said, you know what? We got to erase him. He's unboxable. So they killed him. Ironically, it was all part of the plan anyways, right? <laughs> got him. All right. Uh, so if to get him in a box, for you to fit Jesus in a box, you have to remove his power because it is, he is too strong for that box. And if you get him in the box and you think you have him, you don't have him. You have something else. You created some other God. You're worshiping something else. That's not Jesus because he is unbound. We end up with a Jesus that does not exist. And for our church, for Village Heights to be the kaleidoscope, the maximum beauty that it should be, it's got to be all about Jesus. And I'm not saying a portion of Jesus, the one that feels good and fits and the scriptures that we like. No, all of Jesus, every bit of him. Anything we try to take away is creating something else. It all must be done with faith immersed in his powerful love, a love enough to rock the world. And boy, did he. We're still talking about him in a big way. He rocked the world. Our mission is simply that. And I didn't, I never said, and again, if you come into, if you're like, I want the non-messy church, this is not that church. Because we're going to dive straight into the mess. No matter how ugly it is, we're getting into the muck of it to help people find Christ. That's what we're here to do. And so in our mission statement, it is simply, the simple part of it is faith-compelling love, love-compelling faith. So let me help define that out. Our mission statement in the long form is, because of the love of Christ that compels us to faith, 
The mission of Village Heights is to be a gathering of people crafted in expressing our faith through a love audacious enough to compel the world towards Christ. That is what we are. That is everything that we are. And if we ever get to a point in a staff meeting or as a board or whatever we're doing that is something else, I kill it. (laughs) If our arm ends up turning somewhere other direction, I lop it off. That's why we don't create a bunch of ministries here. We have one ministry, right? That's to love people back to Christ. And so and part of why we do action groups, we're like, we're not going to reinvent the wheel and make something to compete with somebody that's already doing it great. We're just going to go support them. And that might not make us popular. That might not get us all the attention, but so be it because attention is not for us. It's for Christ. It all points back to him. Faith compelling love love compelling people to faith. Village Heights does not have an equation but vehicles to show our love. Village Heights exists because of our faith. We want a community to know that we exist, and we don't want them to know we exist because we think that we're different than them. We want them to know we exist because of our love that we show. Because everything we do is through the love of Christ. This is what Christ said in motion 2,000 years ago. That is the way, and that's what he meant it to be. This is the meant in the movement in following Jesus. We get to fulfill our part of the story. Every day you wake up, every interaction you have with another human being is your part of the way that you were called to be a part of. Really changes how you get your coffee, right, from, <laughs> from people. This is the mint and what it means to be a Christ follower, living in such a way, not just a way, the way that no ritual or argument is needed. I hate to break this to you because some of you are probably some good keyboard warriors. Um, there has been never, as far as I know, never anybody, one person that has ever came to Christ or started going to church because of a comment they saw on Facebook. It does not happen. I don't care how good you are at arguing on social media, Twitter, Instagram, but nobody's ever going, you know what? I was a big no, but I saw this one comment and I came. Never happened, okay? So we are not here to ritual or argue people into the faith. We are here to love people in such a way that it compels them to the faith. Because if it's over an argument or a ritual, that's transactional, and it will always dry up. It will never last. So that's what we're here to do, to simply compel people to follow Jesus because of how we follow. And that's what makes people do this. That's what makes people go, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about you. There's something about that group of people. I don't get it, but I want to be a part of it. I don't understand it, and it scares me, but I want to move with them. It's that love of Christ. People will say this to you. They go, why are you the way that you are? (laughs) Hannah and I get this all the time. We were just talking about it. Like, we'll go, especially because we're pastors, like we're ministers. We're, like, supposed to be, like, the supreme of Christians. I don't know. And uh, and they come to us, and and they realize you're very normal. How is this possible? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a person that follows Jesus. I'm not perfect. And if anybody's ever showed you anything other than that, they're lying. So I'm going to be as real as I can be. When you come to Village Heights, especially when we're setting up, you get full dose of Bill. You do. (laughs) 
and it, it might be unpleasant for you. I'm sorry, but it's who I am. But anything good in me, anything great in me, anything that draws you towards me, regardless of whatever sarcastic comment I've said, it's not me. It's Jesus. It's that love that compels you and draws you in. Um, people will always ask, how are you like this? And this is what you can tell them, right? This is why they are compelled to you, why they are drawn to you. It's right here in John 13, 34 through 35. It's the commandment that Jesus like, Jesus like, if you forget everything that I've taught and missed any of all my miracles or you've debunked them all or had thought you did, this is, I just need you to hear this one thing. This is the commandment to fulfill all commandments. I'm not saying it's okay to kill it or anything like that, but if you just do this, all the 600 and something thousand laws that you've created to think that you can earn your way to heaven, if you just do this, it'll make it happen. John 13, it says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one, or one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples my followers, the ones who are following the way. That's how they will know. So let's be the kaleidoscope, the beautiful chaos that God has called us to be. And we do that by living Christ-centered, community-crafted, and audaciously generous. So much so that our faith in love compels people to faith just like Jesus and the apostles did in their time just like somebody did for you. The reason why you're sitting here, the reason why you're even trying this is because somebody loved you in a way that compelled you to be here today. Be that same light for somebody else. Be your part of the kaleidoscope. And to help you remember this, uh, I have a gift for you guys. Hit me. Good throw. All right. I got some kaleidoscopes, okay? And it's really hard to find kaleidoscopes in bulk. Um, and I ordered these off Amazon. I think they're from China, uh, maybe because of the writing. Um, and so if you look at these and see the artwork, I didn't like see the artwork and go, boom, those are right. I did not, I did not do that. So bear with me. And I'm more interested in what's on the inside, okay? Um, but I want you to take this home. And every once in a while, I want you to pick it up and look at it and look at the pretty lights. Ooh, that's nice. That's real nice. And I want you to remind yourself that you are a part of this kaleidoscope. And we need you. Not, not, you're not, don't dismiss yourselves like, oh, I'm not a part of it. I'm not the one shining. No, we need your light. Because like I've said before, if you are not lighting up in your color and not moving with us, you would look at that kaleidoscope and say, oh, that part is broken. It must be broken. If you don't get involved, if you don't let your light shine, and some of you are going, I'm pretty weird, Bill, and messy. I don't know if you want my light. It's funny. The messier you are, actually, you're, the, light, the brighter your light shines. And it's got to like, bring it. Come on. Come be a part of this. We need you to shine with us. Because when we all work together, we're all moving. We're all pointed to the light, Jesus, the light. We will be a, such a beautiful chaos that all that see it will be compelled to follow it. So help us. Help us be the kaleidoscope. Take this home. Help remind yourself and be the messiest and colorfulest individual God has called you to be. 
here at Village Heights. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to be part of this. We get to be part of this journey, Lord. We could have just been follow a set of rules or do it a certain way, something that we probably couldn't achieve, but you said, no, I want you a part of the journey. You gave us the opportunity. Lord, you set the way in motion, now what we call the church. So, Lord, I pray that you help us to see and challenge us to be the kaleidoscope that you've called us to be, to help us to be that beautiful chaos that compels people back to you. So Lord, individually in our lives, help us to see the places where we've let our light dim, where we have, have, have dulled our color, and, we, and we've let culture do that to us. I pray that we would brighten it back up again and be the shining light you've called us to be. And Lord, as we come together as a group, I pray that we will shine brighter than anything that people can see. And that way, people will be drawn, and our only mission is back to you. So, Lord, help us. Give us the strength. Give us the courage. Give us the creativity to be the beacon you have called us to be in your name. So, Jesus, thank you for letting us be part of the kaleidoscope and bless Village Heights as we continue forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.